And so let's take some time to learn more about the God we serve, to learn about the God who created us by looking at our passage this morning, and it comes from Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 5 through 15, it's going to be, or 5 through 15, it's going to be on the screens in front of us. Let me get myself situated for a minute. You, you can turn it into the Bible if you got it. Try not to use the Bibles in the pews because we're trying to keep things disinfected. Otherwise, pull it up on your phone or just, you know, read the words on the screen in your head as I read. Just follow along. But it comes from Matthew 6, 5 through 15. It's part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the words that Jesus has on prayer. He these words from our Lord. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of us in our tradition, the Reformed tradition, We've grown to love a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's just a document written about 500 years ago by a few guys in Germany, a team in Germany, just to help us better understand what the Bible is saying and how we understand it as Reformed Christians. The last little section is all about the Lord's Prayer, explaining prayer, what it's for, what it does, and going through the Lord's Prayer step by step. And so I'm going to read the first part of that from question and answer, 116, just listen to these words, and here's the question. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important of part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking God for them. Prayer is the most important part of what it means to be thankful Christians for all that God has done for us. It's an important thing. And I, think, I don't think you're going to find any Christian group, regardless of denomination or whatever, that's going to disagree that prayer is one of the most important things that we can do as Christians. And Jesus knew this as well. That's why he you know, puts it right in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon of the Mount this scene that we can think of of Jesus, like the new Moses on Mount Sinai, delivering the law, the Torah of the kingdom of God to his followers, much like Moses did with the Israelites in Exodus. This is the scene that Jesus is, 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 is offering us in, these, in, these, in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And we're reminded how important prayer is. All these verses coming about it. But Jesus takes this time not only to give words of wisdom about prayer and to offer a prayer for his followers to pray. He also takes the time to set, set some, to, to offer some wisdom about how prayer has been poorly utilized in his time, right? At first he goes after the hypocrites, the, the leaders in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders. He tells his disciples, don't pray like them. You see these Jewish leaders who make, make a showy prayer in front of everybody in the synagogue or on the street corner, you know, where they're making sure everyone looks at them, making prayer all about them and what they're doing. Praying, you know, probably with a lot of references to the Psalms and the Old Testament, different verses, making sure everyone thinks they look good. Making it so that prayer is all a showy thing about me, me, me. Very self-centered prayers. Jesus tells his disciples, it's better if you just do prayer in secret. Don't even worry about praying like that because it's not going to work. It's not worthwhile. Don't be like those hypocrites when you pray. And then Jesus, at the same time, he wants to make sure that they don't end up praying like the pagans either. Pagans who babble on, who have these long incantations where they have to make sure they say just the right words and say the right magic words in order so that their pagan gods will listen to them. Because pagan gods, they didn't really care about the people who worshipped them. There were all sorts of strict rules. And so you had to make sure you said the right magical phrase so that your prayer would work. And if you even messed up a little bit, you start all the way back at the beginning. And Jesus wants to make his, sure his disciples know, his followers, you and me, that that's not what prayer is about. It's not about magical, list of magical words, or it's not self-centered about us, because God knows what we need before we even pray. So prayer isn't ultimately about us. And so Jesus gives this teaching to his followers on prayer because of all the confusion about prayer that was going on at the time. And it would have been a very common thing for Jesus, a teacher, a rabbi, a scholar, to offer his followers some thoughts on prayers, even to offer a prayer itself. When we look at the Luke passage that has the Lord's Prayer in it, we see that actually it's, it's kind of initiated by Jesus' disciples. His disciples come to him asking Jesus, hey, teach us to pray. Because John, John the Baptist, he taught his disciples how to pray. This is something that was very common and that Jesus enters into. And it's probably something that Jesus talked about a number of times, not just here in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus makes it clear by offering these words of the Lord's Prayer that yes, he is offering a prayer for us to pray, for his disciples to pray, but it is far more than that. He is offering us an outline of prayer, how we can structure our prayers, because if we only ever use the Lord's Prayer, it'd get pretty similar to those magical incantations the pagans want. And so he offers us an outline of how to pray, but even on top of that, the words of the Lord's Prayer show us what prayer is all about, what prayer is all supposed to be about. What else would you expect from the Son of God to pack all this into a little prayer, right? And so when we read the Lord's Prayer, when we look at what God is doing, what Christ is teaching us in it, we see that, you know, 
we're not always the best at praying. I don't know about you, but we can all probably point out people in our lives who are just very natural praying people, who it just seems like their whole lives are like are prayers and they come by prayer so naturally. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I am not one of those people. I've always had a difficult time cultivating a prayer life, a regular rhythm of prayer in my own life. It's something that has never come naturally to me. It's always something I aspire to. I see these people that I admire and how prayer is so formative for their lives. And it reminds me, because this has been my experience in my life, that we are often taught very contrasting ideas about what prayer is. Take a minute after the service, go to look on Amazon, or maybe go to your local Christian bookstore, and you'll see all the thousands upon thousands of books on prayer. And they have all different ideas about how best to pray and what's the best way to do it. And we've all been taught very different ideas about prayer throughout our lives. Some of us, maybe we were taught that you had to memorize certain repetitive prayers and you had to do them over and over and you had to say, you know, how many Hail Marys or how many Our Fathers in order for God to listen to you. Or when our prayers are not answered, we're told by people, well, you just didn't pray hard enough. Or you should have prayed more and then God would have answered you. And then it all of a sudden starts to sound like we're being taught that these long lists of babbling prayers or getting the right magical words just like the pagans were taught that Jesus says we're not supposed to pray like. Or on the other hand, we're taught that you can't use any written down prayers because that's disingenuous. And your prayers need to be genuine and honest about you and who you are as a person, coming straight from your own emotions, your own life experience, asking God for all that you need and all this and that, all about you. That begins to sound a little bit like that, those self-centered prayers that those Jewish hypocrites were teaching. And not only that, I don't know about you, if I have to come before God and pray something brand new and genuine every time, it gets pretty exhausting, reinventing the wheel over and over. And so these two extremes that we're taught, never use repetitive prayers or only use repetitive prayers, these are two opposite ends of an extreme that maybe is not all that worthwhile because when we come from prayer, an unhealthy place, like many Christians, many of us, including myself, come to, we find ourselves coming to prayer only in a place of desperation, as a last resort, right? Like, oh no, I have a test tomorrow and I didn't study enough. God, give me the answers that I need. Or, oh no, you know, my, 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 Business is falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. My, you know, friend is in the hospital. You know, I pray, Lord, I need your help. I'm desperate, Lord. And we only come to pray to God during desperate times. And when we do that, it's interesting because it reminds us that we're actually praying the Lord's Prayer backwards. Rather than starting with our Father in heaven and acknowledging him, we start with, deliver us from the evil one. The opposite of the way that Christ taught us. And it makes our prayers, those very self-centered prayers, all about me, 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 and what I need, focusing on us to the exclusion of anyone else God places in our lives and the exclusion of honoring our God, our Father. So a lot of us, and I want to I stress this, myself included, 
our prayer life is not what it should be, and what ultimately Christ offers us in his words on prayer. A deeply transformational thing that actually gets us out of our self-centeredness and closer in the presence of God. Because that's ultimately what the Lord's Prayer is all about, what Jesus' teaching is all about. Inviting us into God's presence and inviting us into God's work. Right? When we look at the Lord's Prayer, most, a lot of us know it, when you look at it, we often break it down, at least in our tradition, some say seven, but we say there are six petitions, right? Six things that are being asked for. And you can really divide it right down the middle of what's going on here. And so when Jesus gives the prayer, he is offering us the first half of the prayer, which is all about acknowledging God and honoring God, being brought into God's presence. And the second half is all about invoking God, asking for the things we need, but also inviting us in to God's work. Let's look at it. It starts off with our Father in heaven. And we see, we see this throughout the prayer, that this is a deeply scripturally Old Testament-based prayer. Jesus was a really good Bible scholar. He knew his Bible better than any of us ever will, and better than the hypocrites in the Jerusalem as well. And when he said, our Father in heaven, oh, his disciples, they would, have heard, they would have understood what this meant. They would have been called back to the Exodus story, where God calls his people, the Israelites, out of slavery. He liberates them and he sets them free, set apart to be in his presence as the people of God. And in the Exodus story, it's the first time we see that God refers to Israel, the nation of Israel, as his son. So if the people of Israel are sons and daughters of God, that means that God is their father. And so this is bringing us into God's presence, setting us apart as people who are God's children. And so that when we pray, we don't have to worry about being in the temple, being in a special place like church. We can trust that when we invoke the name of the Lord, our Father, that we are brought into his presence as people set apart from this world, people who are part of his kingdom, people who he has called out from slavery, from sin and evil, so that we can be his. And we are reminded of his holy presence that we are a part of and that God is working to bring about his kingdom where earth and heaven come closer and closer together. And so the prayer reminds us that we are in God's presence when we pray. When we pray, we, don't, we turn ourselves away from only ourselves and we acknowledge the God who brought us out of sin and evil. And that when we are reminded that we are set apart as people of God, we are part of his kingdom, we're reminded that there is work to be done in that kingdom. And we acknowledge that God is the one who gives us our daily bread. We acknowledge God for all the things that we have, all the basics God will give them to us. We'll talk about that more in a few weeks as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. But God's, he gives us all of our basic needs. He provides for his children. Yes, there are spiritual implications to Jesus being the bread of, God, bread of life, 
but this is a real physical, tangible thing that we can trust on God to provide for our physical, tangible, basic needs. And for those of us who already have those, many of us here in the Western world, we don't have to really worry about where we're going to get our bread or our basic needs that day. So we can thank God for them. And we're also invited into that work of providing for others in our community, those around us, giving, offering the things that we have, sharing in the gifts as people of the kingdom of God, where there will be no more hunger. And of course, the Old Testament language keeps continuing when we are reminded that when we, to ask for forgiveness of our debts, to ask for the forgiveness of our sins, the disciples would have heard this in relation to the year of Jubilee, right? That, that period in Israel's history where God calls them to, you know, forgive debts, to give people their property back. It was done every, every 50 years, and so they were supposed to be people who were forgiveness people who lived into this. And his disciples would have probably remembered the sermon that Jesus gave in his hometown that got people so riled up, where he said that the year of the Lord's favor is begun because of me. This is the work that people of the kingdom are called to do. And so we people who have been set free from sin and evil and slavery, being brought into God's presence, we are called to join in that forgiveness work, to forgive others who hurt us, maybe even forgive literal debts if we have to. And as we enter into God's work that he is reminding us here in the prayer, we're reminded that when we are part of God's kingdom and are follow where God calls us, we're going to enter some pretty dark places. And we're reminded of that, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the thing. You may have heard it a number of times over the past few years. I know there was some, some real concerns when the Pope talked about this, that, you know, talk about changing the Lord's Prayer. Well, the reality is when we see this phrase, lead us not to temptation, it's not the best, it doesn't best reflect what's going on here, right? We know from the book of James that God does not tempt us. But it's better understood and more of a reference back to the Old Testament, what Psalm 23 is about. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can trust that God, who is our good shepherd, may lead us into dark places. If we are following him as kingdom people and joining in his work, we may go to some dark places. There may be some dark times, but we trust that God is in control. He is protecting us and he is keeping us safe as we enter into the work that he has for us. We are safe because of the God that we worship, the God we pray to, the God whose presence we are brought into, because he gives us all that we need, and we can trust and rely on him. And you see, that's what Jesus is telling us here in this prayer. Yes, he's offering us a prayer to pray. It's a good prayer. A lot of us have found it really helpful in our own spiritual lives. He's also offering us that outline, how to pray, right? Don't get so self-centered. It's not only about you. Don't think there's a certain magic phrase in order for the prayer to work. God already knows what you need. But instead, what Jesus is inviting us into is living a life as kingdom people that is formed by prayer, where, the, where our prayers form us more and more to rely on God, to
to trust in him, to break free from our own self-centeredness so that we can love and serve those who God calls us to. We can trust on God for our needs. We can be reminded that we are forgiven. We are kingdom people so that we can go out and meet others' needs and we can forgive other people, show them the forgiveness, turn them back to the gospel, that they too can be set free from slavery, they can be liberated from sin and evil, and they too can be a part of God's kingdom, be kingdom people as well. So like I said, when Jesus is offering this prayer, He's not saying, you know, never use formulaic prayers. He's not saying, you know, only, never pray directly from the heart. Yes, he is giving us a prayer to pray. Yes, he is giving us an outline of prayer. But ultimately, he is showing us a life of prayer. He is showing us that through his teaching, through the Lord's Prayer. But he is also showing that through his life as our Savior Jesus. The Lord's Prayer is ultimately all about Jesus and what he does, right? God, our Father, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He is ushering in the new kingdom, and on earth and heaven meet in the person of Jesus Christ. He provides us the bread we need as the bread of life, both spiritually and physically. And he forgives us our sins and our debts, and so that we can join him into that work. And we trust that we will be protected from sin and evil because he is the one who defeated sin and evil on the cross and is bringing about the new creation. So in this prayer, we are called into God's presence. We are called, it's an invitation in the work that God is doing so that we can be formed more and more into the likeness of our Savior, the one who gave us this prayer, Jesus Christ. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we come to you honoring your name in this place. We've been brought into your presence to practice for the kingdom, for the ultimate kingdom, Lord. Your kingdom is coming, and we know that heaven and earth are at meeting in the person of Jesus, and that eventually will come together in the final days. Lord, we thank you for that you give us all that we need so we don't have to worry about those things as we serve you. We thank you for the forgiveness you gave to us of our debts in the person of Jesus. We hope that we, that by your spirit we are able to join in that work as well. Lord, keep us safe as we know you will, because ultimately evil is one in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.